0: so seeing no young ones you all get to be the children today okay so last week we talked about a man named elijah right some of you may remember that and he was kind of a superhero in the bible and i was seen that sometimes superheroes have sidekicks you know like batman has robin and Don can tell you a bunch of others that have them. (laughs) I can't. But sometimes they have sidekicks. Okay. So Elijah also had a sidekick. His name was Elisha. So I wanted to tell you the story of how they met. So Elijah is walking around and he sees this man plowing a field. He's plowing a field, um, not with a machine like a tractor, but with oxen that are yoked together. And most of you know what a yoke is, a piece of wood or leather that puts two oxen together so that they can walk in step with each other and both of them can add to the carrying the load. So it's stronger with two rather than one, right? So I have a picture if you really want to see one. There's the picture of oxen with the (laughs) yoke. There you go. I'm going to assume you all know what that is, if you don't see me afterwards, okay? So most people would plow a field with maybe one or two oxen, but Elijah is unusual in that he is plowing a field with 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 oxen. Don't ask me how he was doing that. It must have looked really, really impressive. And when Elijah sees him, he runs past him, and throws his mantle, his cloak, over Elijah, which tells Elijah that Elijah wants him to follow him. And Elijah did. He becomes Elijah's servant and his friend and eventually a prophet just like Elijah. So this story reminded me of something that I wanted to share with the children. So I'll share it with you today because we're all children of God. So every Sunday, even when I'm not wearing a robe like today, when it's just too hot to do that, I'm wearing a piece of fabric around my neck. Does anybody know what it's called? A stole. A stole thank you. Stole. Right. Okay. And I wear them in different colors. So to go with the season. So at, uh, Advent and Lent I'm wearing purple stoles and during Christmas and Easter I'm wearing white stoles because that's in the churches are the colors of Christmas and Easter white and gold and on Pentecost and a few weeks after I wear red and right now we're in ordinary time and I'm wearing green which is a symbol of growth and life but this stole has another meaning for ministers because sometimes it's called the yoke of Christ the yoke of Christ and it is a reminder to me that I am to walk in step with Jesus, and that I am to do his work, that I am yoked with him in his work. It also serves as a reminder to me that I am yoked together with all of you. Uh, last week, I uh, began my 10th year as your pastor. And um, (laughs) yeah, I was, they actually let me come back again. Woo. Um, And so I am feeling that connection with you right now. And it is an honor to be a part of, to serve alongside you um, in the work that we are called to do. So here we are yoked together in Christ's love, um, just as uh, Elijah has his oxen yoked. We're not quite oxen, but we are together in Christ's love. So will you pray with me? I'm going to have you do the echo prayer because that's what we do during the children's time, right? So, dear God, God. thank you you. that we are yoked together in Christ's love. love. Show us how to help each other share his love with others. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Obviously, I should have broken that down more for you like I do with the children. (laughs) Dang. Oh, well. There you go. Children's message for today. Now, I'm going to continue the story because you want to know what happens maybe after that. So because after Elijah uh, threw his mantle over Elisha, so you got Elijah and Elisha, Elijah, Elisha does something very bizarre. He slaughters his oxen and using their harness for fuel, he boils their flesh and gives it to people to eat. Weird, huh? And then he follows Elijah and becomes his servant. So, what's that all about? Well, it's important to re- re- understand that Elijah's equipment, the harness for his oxen, and his oxen themselves are the means by which he can earn a living. And so, his utter destruction of both sends this dramatic signal that Elijah has chosen to leave this former life as a farmer, as a plowman behind. From this point on, he is dedicated to Elijah. It's a huge decision, and there is no turning back. Strangely enough, though, that is the last time we hear about Elijah for a while in the scriptures. Elisha, I should say. But the ongoing story of Elijah... As offers him plenty of opportunities to learn from his master. You may remember that Elijah had sort of a feud going with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who were leading the people to worship gods other than that of the true God of Israel. Um, and so that feud continues. Um, He pronounces God's judgment on them when they acquire the vineyard of their next-door neighbor by bringing false charges again, again having him stoned. And after Ahab's death and the rise of his son Ahaziah to the throne... Uh, there, is still issue, there are still issues, Elijah still has issues with the person, the royal couple here. Um, when Ahaziah falls ill, he chooses to send messengers to the temple of Beelzebub, a Philistine god, to ask if he will recover or not. The messengers along the way encounter Elijah, who predicts that Ahaziah will die because he has failed to rely on the true God. He says, what, is there no God in Israel that you have to send to this other God? When the messengers go back to King Ahaziah and tell him this prediction, he says, tell me about this man who met you. And it is at this point in the first chapter of Second Kings that we find the description that will identify Elijah for all time, a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. Today's scripture reading tells the dramatic conclusion of the story of Elijah's prophetic career and the beginning of Elijah's career, a story that will ultimately become part of our Christian story. So I'm going to have us listen to Craig as he reads.
1: You can follow along 2 Kings uh, 2 on page 310 in your pew Bible. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as long as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you? Uh, that today the Lord will take you away from, your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 50 men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, but when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of, the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, "Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah?" When he had struck the water, the water parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were in Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to, him, bowed to the ground before him. They said to him, See now, we have fifty strong men among your servants. Please let, us, please let them go and seek your master." It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and thrown him down on a, some mountain or in some valley. He responded, No, do not send them. The Word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Right at the outset of this chapter, uh, we learn that Elijah is about to be taken up into heaven. But in truth, this story is just about as much about Elisha as it is about his, his master, As we shall see, though Elijah is Elijah's servant, it seems that he sees their relationship as much, much more. The story starts out in the form of a travel narrative in which the two men walk from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and finally to the Jordan River. Perhaps hoping to soften the blow of his departure, perhaps testing his faithfulness, at each step of the way, Elijah commands Elijah to stay put. But Elijah refuses in no uncertain terms. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Also, at each stopping place, a company of prophets comes to meet the two men. And each time, like the chorus in a Greek play, they warn Elijah that the Lord is going to take Elijah from him. Though Elijah's emotional response, which is probably better translated, I know, shut up, seems to indicate that he resents their presence, this community will ultimately serve as a witness to the transition that is coming and provide Elijah with much-needed support. When the two men finally arrive at the Jordan River, Elijah wraps up his mantle and strikes the water with it. The river parts to the one side and to the other until the two of them cross on dry ground. If this sounds familiar... It's because this act, as well as the rambling journey the men take, is meant to evoke the ancient stories of Moses and Joshua. The parting of the Jordan River recalls both Moses' parting of the sea with his staff as the people of Israel are fleeing from Egyptian slavery and the parting of the Jordan River when the people first walk into the land that God has promised them following their leader Joshua." It is finally at this point that Elijah acknowledges both Elisha's grief and his need. Tell me what I may do for you. Elijah is quick to reply Let me inherit a double share of your spirit. This odd turn of phrase is a reference to the legal rights of inheritance for a purse-born son. Elijah wants Elijah to designate him as his successor, the heir of his prophetic power. Elijah's response is uh, less than certain, for he knows that this status, this power, is not his to give. Acknowledging that this is a hard thing, he can only offer Elijah a possibility. If you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. And then it happens. As they are walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separate them, and Elijah ascends to heaven in a great whirlwind. Imagine the sound, the light, the wonder as Elijah becomes one of only two people in the Bible who go directly to God without experiencing death. The other being a man named Enoch, of whom it is written in the fifth chapter of Genesis, Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him. So God takes Elijah. Elijah. Elijah indeed sees this happen, and he cries out in shock and astonishment, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. His poignant outcry and his tearing of his clothing tells us just how close the relationship between the two men had grown. Elijah was Elisha's master, his mentor, and his spiritual father. The sense of loss must have been overwhelming. Overwhelming. But now comes the moment toward which this whole passage has been building. Will Elijah succeed Elijah? Will he receive Elijah's legacy of prophetic understanding and power? As the world, after the whirlwind has passed, Elijah's mantle is left lying on the ground. The mantle with which he wrapped his face before he dared to go out to hear the voice of God on the mountain of Moses the mantle that he threw over Elijah as he plowed, the mantle with which he struck the water of the Jordan River, the mantle that is the symbol of his prophetic power. We hold our breath along with Elijah as he picks up the mantle and stands there on the bank of the Jordan River. He rolls it up, then strikes the water and cries, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And wonder of wonder, the waters part. And once again, Elisha crosses the river on dry land. The mantle of power has been passed. And the God of Elijah is now the God of Elisha, who goes on to a prophetic career just as powerful and colorful as that of his master. I'm going to go back to Elijah for a bit, though. Though he disappeared from earth, Elijah would remain alive in the hearts of his people. Second only to Moses, Elijah is revered as Israel's greatest prophet. And a number of prophecies say that one day he will return for a variety of reasons, to reunite those separated by injustice, to bring about the resurrection of the dead, to make peace in the world. But the most common prophecies are that Elijah's return will herald the coming of the Messiah. In fact, it is a long standing tradition to set a place for Elijah at the table at a Jewish Passover Seder, that ceremonial meal that celebrates the release of the the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, just in case he shows up that night. But Elijah is part of the Christian story as well. Remember the description of Elijah as a hairy man wearing a belt? Now listen to the description of John the Baptist in Matthew's gospel. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. That's no accident. John deliberately chooses to dress like the ancient prophet. And indeed in the gospel of Luke, an angel tells it, john's father with the spirit and power of elijah he will go before the messiah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the lord even jesus himself says if you are willing to accept it speaking of john he is elijah who is to come but John is not the only presence, who's, the only person whose presence heralds Jesus as the Messiah. Along with Moses, Elijah himself appears on the mountaintop with a transfigured Jesus, an indication, again, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. All this may make Elijah sound a bit like a saint, but he was not. As a matter of fact, as Amy Fullis points out, Elijah and Elijah after him was a man of great violence, a troubler who often seemed more occupied with his own difficulties than with those of his people, and who was quick to depict the culture around him as evil and loathsome. And yet... And yet in Elijah, we also see a man of faith whose zeal for God led him to stand up against injustice, a man who dared to confront the dangerous political powers of his day, a man who gave life to a poor widow and her son, who was able to discern God's voice in the sound of silence and whose return was seen as a harbinger of hope and peace. We see his legacy in Jesus' care for the poor and needy, in his raising of the widow, uh, the son of a widow in the town of Nain, and in his standing up against injustice and the powers of his day, even at the risk of his own life. We also see echoes of the story of Elijah and Elijah and the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Remember the call of the fishermen? Like Elijah, disciples, Jesus' disciples leave behind the tools of their livelihood, their boats and their nets in order to follow him. And it is a decision that they cannot go back on. Indeed, Jesus tells some would-be followers, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. As for the double share of spirit... Jesus tells his disciples, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. And in John 20, we read that when the risen Christ appeared to his disciples, he told them, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. As the mantle of power passes to Elijah, so the mantle of power passes from Christ to his disciples and from them to us. As it was Elijah's task to carry on the work of Elijah, so now it is our task task, to carry on the work of Christ. I said earlier that this is called the yoke of Christ because it keeps me in step with the ideas. It keeps me in step with Christ and doing his work. Well, you are all ministers as well. I'm not special because I wear this. I just do things in a particular way. But you are all ministers. You, too, are yoked with Christ. You, too, are called to carry on his work. Part of that work is mentoring our children, the young Elisha among us in the faith. Now, we think of that mentoring as falling to their parents, but in truth, it falls to all of us as a congregation. Every time we baptize a child, we promise to help that child grow in their trust of God and to help them become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every time we baptize a child, all of us promise to do that in practical term that means when a call for Sunday school teachers or youth mentors is issued all of us should consider how we might respond for as there was someone in our lives in each of our lives who acted as Elijah to our Elijah someone who shared the story of God's love and grace with us and passed the mantle of faith to us so we need to do this for our children They're not here today, but they're here in our hearts. When they are here, I hope that you will remember that. That is part of our calling with Christ. But this story also offers us another challenge to trust that God can and will work through us. In a commentary on this passage, a Reverend Dr. Bruce Epperly suggests that Elijah's request for a double share of Elijah's spirit is an example that we should be following. Such a request, he writes, challenges us to ask God for great things to get our ego out of the way and let the divine providence move through us. It is clear that we often settle for less when we should settle for more. We are sounding the death knell of congregational life when we should lean on divine energy and inspiration to empower our congregations. Elijah's request invites us on a daily basis to ask, what great thing will you do in my life today, O God? What great thing will you do in my life today, God, And what great thing will I do today, God? Expecting great things from God does not diminish our power or responsibilities. It increases them. In a world where God asks and needs us to be companions in healing the earth one act at a time. Think about that for a moment. What difference would it make If, as each one of us began our day, we asked that question, what great thing will you do in my life today, O God? And what might change for our congregation if we asked, what great things will you do with our church, O God? Or to use Epperly's words, what great thing can our congregation expect as a result of God's ever-present love and guidance? In a sermon preached at Duke Divinity School in 2009, uh, Samuel, by Samuel, oh gosh, I left out his name. He was the vicar of St. Martin's on the field in London at the time, and I've forgotten his last name, I apologize. Anyway, he suggests that rather than being intimidated by the challenges that our church faces, we need to approach them as children. He writes, wouldn't it be wonderful For a moment, to see the church not as a parent, uh, not as an adolescent, but as a child. Not seeing decline in numbers, faith, and social influence. Not blinded by injustice, rights, and campaigns. But seeing the wonder, the wonder of God's miracles. The glory of God's goodness. The joy of God's humor. I like that. I like the idea of using our imaginations, those things that we sometimes forget we have as adults, to see our church in new ways, to see new possibilities, to live in hope, to look forward to the adventures that await us in God's service. What great things will God do with our church? The mantle has been passed. Trusting in God's grace, let us indeed ask for a double share of Christ's spirit and move forward into the future with confidence for all God has in store for us. May it be so. Amen and amen.